good morning, everybody. Uh, you know, it's uh, you, you go through every checklist possible uh, to make sure everything works right, and then all of a sudden things come up to try to derail the incident or the, the program. Uh, but the devil is a liar this morning. We are not trusting in anything but God. What I want to do for one second, I went to check to make sure we're streaming on Facebook Live, and I see we're there. So I am going to start a watch party on my thread. And if you are watching this on Facebook Live, I would ask you to go and share this, this video, start a watch party so we can get this out to as many people as possible. Uh, again, good morning. We are here today uh, to give praise to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And above all things, we want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Every mother, every grandmother, every aunt, every cousin, every godmother, playmother, sister, whoever has fulfilled that role of being mom, uh, nurturing, praying, caring, loving, and feeding you, we want to say a heartfelt from directly from me to all of you, happy Mother's Day. I'm so blessed uh, to have uh, women that have been in my life that have been my mom, uh, others who were not my mom, whether they were cousins, uh, whether they were aunt, and even everybody who knows me knows how much I feel towards my grandmother, uh, Lizzie Shavers, and Clara Thomas, and how much they had loved me and, and my brother and my sister. Uh, and happy Mother's Day to my daughter, who while she was, uh, I think she had, yeah, yeah, she'd already had Zane by the time, so this is her second Mother's Day. Sorry, I ended up thinking that she was a newbie, but no, this is her second Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day, Alex. And again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, one quick thing, there was uh, some, you know, my mom had texted me and a couple people had asked, they said, is something wrong with Ronald? He seems like he's out of breath. Well, yes, but he's sweating a lot too. Well, that's true. So those of you who don't know, uh, because we're doing this from home, I bought a light to get better lighting. It's over here to the side. These lights are hot. And on top of the fact, I naturally run hot anyway. So that's where the sweat is coming from. And uh, the other part of it is I have a ceiling fan going, trying to keep me cool. But my wife is back here with me. And if you know my wife, she's always cold. So it tends to be a little more warmer in the house, and then I run hot, so I'm going to sweat. As far as being out of the breath, that just happens because, you know, when you're out of shape, you're out of shape. So there's nothing really wrong with me, except you can say, brother needs to drop a few LBs, and then I'll be good to go. Amen? Amen. Hey, uh, every week I ask if you would consider supporting our ministry. Uh, go to our website, uh, www.r2, the number 2. Uh, r2dchurch.org go to the give page that'll take you to PayPal that'll directly link uh, to our account whatever you give or if you already have a PayPal account you can just go to PayPal and search for Road to Damascus Church or cash app uh, the dollar sign r2d church anything you can give anything you want to give and even if you don't have it we still pray for you we still love you we just know that there's things we're going to do uh, i.e. That is, we're going to be making the announcement on our uh, scholarship recipient soon. And as I told you before, uh, we had, uh, we're awarding five $1,000 scholarships to graduating seniors. The application period is closed. We've already 
gone through and we're just getting through to all the results of, of uh, rating all the applications. But this is what our ministry does. In addition to helping out in the community, this would be our day that we would be taking a load of food to the LAX Food Bank. Uh, every second Sunday we take food to the LAX Food Bank, or at least we have been prior to COVID, and we still want to continue that and support them because as much as there are people losing their jobs uh, or have lost their jobs, uh, there are people who are hungry and they are in need of help and we want to continue to be a blessing. We've been doing this for, church has been around almost seven years and we've probably been doing this about six, five and a half to six years of continually feeding and serving the community among other projects that we have. So it's not like I'm living in the lap of luxury. Uh, I don't drive a $100,000 car. I have a job, so I'm not one of those preachers that's taking the money and doing whatever. You know, I'm not going to ask anybody for a G4 jet. Uh, I take care of myself and my family and my house, and I use what God's provision as resources to take care of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. I got that covered. So we're going to get to the word today. Uh, we're going to the Old Testament book of Esther. Esther chapter 5 verses 9 through 14, although we're going to be talking about some, uh, some uh, prior and subsequent chapters of Esther uh, to get to uh, where we're going today. So in Esther 5, uh, verse 9 through 14, it says, So Haman went out that day, joyful, with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he went, sent, and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told, told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above officials and the servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow, I am again invited by her, along with the king. Yet, all of this avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. My wife, sorry, my wife's interrupting me. <laughs> Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made, fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then, then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. So this morning we're going to continue in our, our Legacy Killers series, The Prideful Heart. The Prideful Heart. Lord our God, we thank you. We come before you this day with all praise and thanksgiving in our hearts. We acknowledge on this particular day, outside of being a day of worship and our time to come together as a church and praise and lift up your holy name, we acknowledge, Lord, the debt that women have paid for our lives. We acknowledge the mothers who labored and birthed, the women who stayed up late night with tears and praying for their children, praying for their families, the women who have made sure that they sacrificed to take care of their families, that their children might have what they need and some of what they want. We acknowledge them this day, the chosen vessel that you decided 
with intention to bring forth light into this place. We acknowledge the mothers this day. We pray for the mothers this day. We pray for the mothers who have cried and are sad. We pray for the mothers that had to suffer loss throughout the centuries for whatever uh, and manner of evil that has taken place. We cry for their souls right now, God, but we lift you up in praise because we know that you are still a God who is in control. So, God, as we move forward this day, as we continue in this series, help us to understand what it means to kill our legacy and do the things that will stop those things, that we will change our hearts, change our minds, that we will be your true servants of God, not believing that we are your people and acting like the world, but are acting like you called us to act and being your people in spirit and in truth. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, legacy killers, because uh, there are just some things that we have that are going on in our lives, and, and we have talked about what legacy means, and what we're trying to pass on, what we're trying to leave behind, whether it is money, generational wealth, reputation, a good name. Uh, but sometimes we get to these places in our lives where we start throwing caution or abandon into the wind and do whatever it is we want and it creates problems for us that may kill our legacy. And today we're going to be looking at how pride comes in and impacts our lives. You know, there, there are theologians who believe that the very first sin or that all sin comes out of pride. Uh, there are people who argue against it and say that couldn't be true or that's not true. But the fact of the matter is, it is a certain level of pride that thinks that you can go out and commit a crime and get away with it. There, there is a level of pride that will have you get into a truck and chase down a black man running uh, for exercise, jogging, not running, chase down a black man jogging down the street in the neighborhood in which he lives and have the audacity to shoot him down in the street like an animal and then not get arrested. There was a certain level of pride that existed because I have position, I have power, I have connections with people in high places that will cover me. There's, there's, there's this pride that comes that will even have people sit there, will defend them, call them God-fearing men, God Christian God-fearing men, even though they went out and hunted them intentionally. A young man who was unarmed. I could go on and on and on about this. The fact that they would sit there and say that they were chasing down a burglary suspect when the police report said there had not been any burglary calls in two months. There is pride that exists that blinds them to believe that, uh, as the lawyer said, I released the video of this uh, to prove the innocence of my friends. Because if, in fact, this young man had been innocent, he would have stopped and would have obeyed the commands of these two non-existent people. Pride tells them that they actually have the audacity. Something about them says that I should be able to go up to any random stranger, just happened to be a black man, point a gun in his face and tell him to stop, and he is supposed to listen and obey to my commands. That is not a rational state of mind. You come to me, a stranger with a gun, we gotta have, we're going to have a problem. Nine times out of ten because i got mine too, but the fact of the matter is I don't have to listen to you. You can't identify yourself 
as a, a, for a legal authority figure, a member of law enforcement or military, you cannot detain me when I have done nothing wrong and you have no right to say anything to me except hello and goodbye. But pride takes you to that place. That is why the theologians said that the very foundation of sin begins with pride. And, and what I found on the, on the internet, they said, the center of sin and pride is I. Now let that sink in for a minute as you see. The center of sin and pride is not the, just the letter I. It is that pride I, me, Ron Thomas, what I want, what I need, what I believe I deserve. You have what I want. This is at the center of sin. This is at the center of pride. Uh, many years ago, if you're not familiar with this teacher, Mrs. Jane Elliott, uh, she did a, an experiment in her class. This was the day after or soon after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And she was an activist for civil rights and she believed in equality. So she decided to teach her students, I believe she was from Iowa, uh, what it means to, to, be, to have ethnic pride or pride in certain things that would allow you to act out in a certain way. So she separated her children, brown eyes from the blue eyes. And what they found is that the kids didn't like being separated because these were their friends. And, but then she went further and, and started, she made them wear little collars so they could identify who were the blue-eyed kids and who were the brown-eyed children. And that the brown-eyed, or which I don't remember which way it goes, but one color eye color uh, got more uh, food for, or more time for recess. The other ones got less time or no uh, recess time at all. Uh, the other ones got to sit up front in the class. The other ones had to sit in the back. It was a whole thing to experience what it means to be segregated. And some of the kids in the very beginning were very upset by this, not the ones who were being uh, put down, but the ones who had the privilege, until they began to actually realize there is a benefit to this privilege that I'm receiving by having this color eye. And when they started acting out and degrading the other children, then she flipped it on them and changed it around and made the other kids the down kids and put the ones who were down, lifted them up, gave them all the privilege and all the things. And these kids that were once on top that were now on the bottom were upset. They were angry. They couldn't believe everything they had was lost. And now the ones who were on the bottom and were at the top were now, they didn't have any compassion on the other children, they now are ready to exercise what it is that they believe are the privileges and benefits of having that color eye. And it was the, the, the perfect illustration of how we live in this world and we have allowed pride in what we have. There, there are even some people who believe that uh, uh, ethnic pride is wrong, uh, um, a regional pride is wrong, uh, the pride of, of uh, uh, nationality is wrong. Now I'm not going to say it's wrong, but I will say that I know that who I am, part of who defines who I am, is being a black man. Uh, and, and, and actually, depending on who you talk to, they will say, no, I wouldn't just call you a black man, but I would call you a large black man. But here's the thing about what I love about being black. Uh, see, I love that when I had hair, that the texture of my hair allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do with my hair. We see kids doing things 
uh, that I never would have thought about doing, but they can do it because of the texture of their hair. I like that I have a nice big nose that fits on my big head so it doesn't look as big and strange with a tiny nose on this big head. I love my thick, full lips because when I kiss my wife, she knows they're coming from a man that loves her. There are so many things about my blackness that I love and enjoy. I love that when I walk, that I don't just walk like anything else. I love that I have a natural rhythm about the things that I do because I flow with the universe. I flow with how the earth rotates. I flow with nature because God made me this way. But you can see that when you begin to pour in too much of the things that aren't important, you begin to look down on people who don't have what you have. This is what we saw in Georgia. This is what we saw with the four little girls in Birmingham, Alabama. This is what we've seen in slavery that somehow, because I am different, I am either afforded privilege or you are afforded uh, downgrade status or animal status, if you will. That See, the thing is, like these kids, the example we saw from them, is that when that privilege existed, it was never a privilege of we can share with this and if I have to give this up. And it's not a matter of we all can have these things. It's I have to give up something in order for you to have something. And that generates a certain kind of fear. So because I'm not willing to give up my status, I can't let you rise up. And if my status is because I have a preferred skin color, well, we see what happens. Think of pride from the very beginning of God's creation. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then the serpent said to the women, The woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, that was pride there in Eve. In Eve. Uh, uh, Satan knew that I could tap in to this pride that I could get her to do what I want. So God gave the command, you can enjoy everything of all of this creation. Every tree, every fruit, you can eat of its fruit. But this one tree there, you can't have. And he said, because if you eat it, you will surely die. So the Satan comes and he says, no, you won't die. He's only telling you you won't die because you'll be like him. You will be elevated to his status. You will have privileges and benefits that everybody else, no, nothing else in this creation will have because if you eat it, you will be like him and will have knowledge of good and evil. And that's just what we see with people in our world today. We are so busy and fixated on trying to be better than the next guy or get more than the next guy. We are just consumed with it and pride comes in and, or as the Bible says, the levity comes in and puffs it up. It puffs us up and we are trying to get these things and we will do certain actions in order to make sure we do get these things and we will continue to do things that will make sure that we remain in the position that we're in. And that is not pleasing to God because we know we refer to this as the original sin. And the original sin was motivated by pride. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon said, Spurgeon said, the man who clings to his own righteousness is like a man who grasps at a millstone to prevent himself from sinking in the flood. 
If you don't know what a millstone is, if you could just picture the old biblical movie, uh, Samson and Delilah. And after Samson has his, his eyes burned out and his hair cut off, they send him to the mill to grind. And you see, and if you've ever seen other movies, it's always, they got this big rock in the middle, a flat rock, and a wheel is on top of it, and the oxen are going around in a circle like they had Samson pushing this thing around, and they would put their wheat under the stone, and they would grind it to be able to make the mill and the flour that they were able to use to eat. And the stone was heavy. And this is what Spurgeon is saying. You are trying to cling on to your own pride is the same person who's holding on to this heavy rock thinking it's going to keep him from sinking. It makes no sense at all to be so puffed up in who you are and what you think you have and your position and your power and your race because it is like grasping on to this millstone and all it's going to do is take you down faster. So as we get into this, the, the, the principal characters of this story, we have Esther. She is the cousin of Mordecai. You can find that in Esther chapter 2. Uh, then you have Mordecai. He is uh, a, a, a captive from Judah. Uh, what did we used to call them? The, uh, uh, he's, part of, he's not part of the remnant. Uh, the bottom line is he was part from, lived in Judah and now he's been part of the captive that was captured and taken to Babylon. And he took in Esther. It was his cousin's, uh, his uncle's daughter. And everybody had been uh, killed, and all she had was Mordecai. He took Esther in as his own daughter. Then you have King uh, Ahasuerus, uh, which, depending on the translation, we'll call him Xerxes. He was the ruler, the king of that time, and he favored Esther when his wife Vashti refused to parade herself in front of him and his friends. And then we have Haman. Haman, the man full of pride, who was appointed by the king, and we see from him that he was racist, he was prideful, he was evil, and he was part of a race of people who were the natural enemy of the Hebrews. Just like we saw David fighting against the Philistines, and we saw uh, 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 Moses and Joshua fighting against the, the every different, you know, Hittites and uh, Ammonites and all the otherites. This is Haman. He's part of that crowd, just this enemy of the Hebrews. And we see in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, and then verse 5 and 6, it says, After these things, King Asherus promoted Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agite, and advanced him and his seat above the princes who were with him. So here's this dude, Haman. He comes in, for whatever reason, he's got the favor of the king, and the king puts him in a position ahead of everybody that, was, uh, that he was uh, 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 behind including the princess. Then in verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai, the person he didn't like, did not bow or pay homage, uh, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Asherus, the people of Mordecai. This, this is the man who's so full of himself and his position that he is willing to lay, he, he don't want to just lay hands on one person, he want to lay hands on the entire ethnic group. You know that the, 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 the cop who, the ex-cop who killed Ahmad Asbury, uh, they got pictures of him floating around on the internet now at a Klan rally. This, this type of pride they have in 
who they are and thinking that they're better than everybody else and they want to exterminate and extinguish anybody not like them from the earth. This is what we're dealing here with. This is the mentality of this dude, Haman. Uh, then in chapter, verse 8 through 9, it says, Then Haman said to King Asherus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in the provinces of the kingdom. Their laws are different from other people's, and they do not keep the king's law. I mean, it's almost, he's saying, he's trying to use the thing against them because he knew about the Hebrew law. It, I mean, this is literally straight out of the playbook. Don't people look different from us? They got this hair that's this kinky and curly. They got this skin complexion that don't look like us. They got big, no wide noses and thick lips. Look at their big butts. This is all these you this mentality that exists of this pride, and he's speaking of they don't keep the king's law. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. They're different from us, and it is not fitting that they should be here with us, benefiting from your royal graciousness, O king. He said in verse 9, if it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those who do the work to bring it to the king's treasure. He is so full of angst and evil and pride that he is willing out of his own pocket to finance the extermination of these people. Think about where we are in the United States. But we have people who are saying, they're not going around and saying that they're going to finance the complete uh, uh, destruction of people, but they will finance their own hunting expedition. And they have people in power who will block them from being arrested. They had this, this murder of this young man took place on February 23rd, and it wasn't until May 7th when they were actually arrested. Stories have been out that when the police showed up on the scene, they believed there was enough evidence to arrest those two men. Uh, but the DA, who the father worked for, blocked them from arresting him. Another DA, or the first DA, recused herself from this because she had a relationship with, with the father. The second DA who saw it said there was not enough evidence to arrest anyone. The power of connection. The pride of knowing that I can go out and do this type of thing, this evil, I don't just want to call it murder, but this evil, horrific act of hate and be protected. This is what Haman says to the king. I want these people are not fit to live in this land. This is the pride that exists and this is the prideful heart that brings about destruction. So here, if you ever are in a place, and we've been talking about sowing and reaping, and you want to understand where you are in life, and you want to understand if you are starting to develop or have a prideful heart, this is how you recognize it. the fruit of your pride is boasting. How much are you boasting about stuff that's unimportant? Esther 5, 10, and 11, it says, Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he set, sent and called his friends and his wife Zeresh, then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he advanced, uh, advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. He's out here bragging and boasting about all my stuff. Look at this. Look at that. You know, when people, 
who we know in our lives that uh, brag about their position and their, their power and their money and what they have at their job. And I remember I had a friend of mine, quasi-acquaintance, I won't call him a friend, quasi-acquaintance. He bragged about this position he had and all the responsibility of his title. Dude was working out of a storage shed for some guy that lived at home with his mom. Come on now. People, when we say, if you are a boss, you don't have to brag about being a boss. You don't have to brag about what you have. You don't have to brag about your position. You don't, and it is like, I remember you'd see these, these, these young women and even these, some of these guys that they are always talking about how fly they were or how fly they are. And you're looking at them and you think you ain't about much of nothing. But people who possess true beauty do not have to boast about it because my eyes tell me. Your spirit will tell me who you are and what you have. The people who are always bragging about what they have, who they are, and what they're doing are insecure. They don't even believe they have it, so they got to tell you and make you believe that they have this, all of this, and, and they're great. Haman is sitting there bright. He got to bring them in and talking, and even talking to his wife. So I bet he's telling her about all her kids, and she's probably not the mama of all his children. But yet he's bragging about it. The king promoted me, put me above all these people. As this is dude, I know he's talking. Hey, I'm, I'm in charge of the whole group. I don't even have college education. Then you come to find out you're working at McDonald's, dude. Come on, man. You bragging about this like this is something? I know people who are millionaires that drive the raggediest piece of car that you ever want to see in your life. But the person who's sitting around here living check to check is driving the Mercedes or the Beamer. Trying to pretend that they have something to, to lift themselves up. The, the, this is the fruit of pride. Uh, Proverbs 27.2 says, let, let another man praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Don't go around bragging and boasting about anything. That's not what's important. And you bragging about it takes away God's glory. Let God elevate you. Not you elevate yourself to God's status. Uh, here's more fruit of pride. Your ingratitude. Esther 5.13 after he's bragging and talking about all the stuff he has, and in verse 13 it says, Yet all this avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Now he's not even just going to call him by his name. It's Mordecai the Jew. Those people. Them. They. And it's not just about a black-white thing. This is how we or people like me, black people, view other nationalities. Uh, remember years back in California, this is for our California audience, uh, they, they passed a proposition because this anger and hostility towards illegal aliens, and I'm doing the air quotes illegal aliens because it was really directed towards those coming south of the border. See, nobody cared about the illegal aliens coming in from Canada. Nobody cares about the illegal aliens coming from Eastern Europe or Asia, coming through Canada into the United States. It was all directed towards the brown folks south of the border. And because they are such a, 
burden on our society, we need to do something about them. We want to restrict their uh, uh, access to health care. We want to restrict their access to education. All these things we're trying to do today, we're doing English only in the classroom. And if you really start thinking about what is that truly about, it's not about the, the burden they put on society because if you don't have them, you don't have people out in the fields picking lettuce and the tomatoes and the vegetables that we enjoy while our groceries prior to COVID-19 were so low because you have migrant workers out there doing this stuff for next to nothing. But for some reason, the pride and the hate in our hearts allowed us to pass a, a, a proposition that denied them this, all these things. And I remember having conversations with people and I said, be careful with this. Because as soon as this happens to them, it's going to come for us. And the very next year, they put the proposition out that took away affirmative action and every benefit that we got for all the years of struggle being blacks in America. It is interesting that when you get to a place and you begin, uh, your, we have identified as black people, and then all of a sudden we got into this big national left bowl of pride of being American, and now we are being, as oppressed Americans, are trying to oppress other humans. The oppressor does not care about us, but we as oppressed people want to oppress others. Remember that I just talked about Ms. Jane, Mrs. Jane Elliott, the, the children who were now elevated to a position of power did not have compassion on the other children. They just wanted to take more and get more benefits from themselves. Pride becomes or can become an evil thing. And what we see is that his, his ingratitude, he can't be grateful for everything that God has granted him. This, his house, his position, his children, his money, he wasn't grateful for that because as far as he was concerned, Mordecai the Jew was sitting at the gate and his very presence upsets me. And you know that's exactly what we've seen here, that you don't want to go to the store. Look at these, all these stores with the uh, Spanish names on them. These people in line talking in Spanish. Can't talk. That's American. We speak English. I hope I'm stepping on people's toes. Be grateful where you are and stop worrying about these folks and what they have. 2 Timothy 3.2, Paul wrote, he said, For men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, bolsters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Your ingratitude will go to all the other things that are listed there. You love your nationality more than you love God's people. You love your race more than you love God's people. You love your money more than you love God's people. You will brag about stuff that God has given you and give God no glory. And all of that will lead you to becoming unholy. Is that really what you want your legacy to be? For your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? I talked about in our Bible study how Daniel, we're in the book of Daniel, and how Judah came to be captive by uh, Babylon. It was because king after king after king followed in the footsteps, followed in the legacy of Jeroboam. Because every king that they list in the Bible that did evil prior to the captivity of Babylon was that they did evil like Jer Jeroboam did before them. His legacy was that of being disobedient to God. 
What legacy are you trying to leave behind? A prideful heart that displeased God? Or a lover of God's people that lifted up his, his children? Last fruit of pride. Destruction. Esther 7.10, as we get into chapter 7, they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. The very thing he built, remember he's told, they told him, build some gallows. And he was supposed to hang uh, Mordecai on the gallows and then go off merrily. He didn't say just walk away, said merrily go to the king. Isn't that how, how these prideful people are? That is, just think about those two men that, that killed uh, 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 Amai. They walked away. They did not get cuffed. They went home, and for over two months, they were living their life like nothing ever happened. And that's what Haman was planning to do. The, the, you know, the, the whole story gets to, it can be summed up as this. Esther gets elevated to queen, hiding her Jewishness and her relationship with Mordecai. Mordecai is hanging out at the gate where Haman saw him every day. Uh, and when Haman was elevated to position, when he walked out of the gate, everybody bowed down before him except Mordecai. Mordecai continued to be who he was. I ain't bowing down to you. You ain't nobody. That's what made uh, Haman mad on top of being a racist. Isn't it funny how racist people hate people who stand up for themselves? Uh, how many times do you see a movie about the civil rights movement they call you some uppity N-word? Who do you think you are? The, the, the attitude is like that man said, I thought it would prove my friend's innocence because if he just would have complied with their demand and then believing that he has some position just by virtue of who he is. And so Mordecai would not bow down. But while he's hanging out the gates, he heard about a plot to can't kill the king. So he tells Esther, Esther tells the king, and now the king is, is loves Mordecai. He saved my life. So he one night he can't sleep, he's having a bad dream. The, the scribes come in and they read the chronicles to him. And then he asks the question, has anything been done good for Mordecai? So the next day when Haman comes to the temple, I mean to the, the king, uh, the king asks him, what should be done for the man who the king finds favoring? So Haman is thinking, yeah. it's me. I mean, why, why shouldn't it be? Look at me. I, I'm all that. I got all this. He already elevated me. And he says, you should, you should do for the king, for this man, king, give him your finest robes. Give him a beautiful horse that you have ridden on. And let him ride throughout the kingdom and everybody pay him honor. Now keep in mind, now he's already gone to the king and said, these, these dear people look different. We need to kill them. And the king says, yeah, you may be right. Puts a little ring on it, signs a decree. And everybody's uh, uh, getting ready to go ahead and kill all the Jewish people. Uh, when Esther finds out this, she gets sad. Uh, she tells, uh, gets a message to Mordecai, tell all the people to pray and fast. And all my people are going to pray and fast. So Haman comes in here, builds the gallows to hang Mordecai. He hates him so much to hate him that he's going to hang Mordecai. But in the end, he gets hung on the very thing that he created for Mordecai. Pride always brings about destruction. I can't even remember these two dudes' names, 
but you know you can imagine the stories they were going around bragging and boasting to all their friends how they shot this little whatever word they were going to use you know what they call them but you see that mug shot now in jail looking like what did I do why am I here their own pride is bringing about their destruction and Haman got there and when he realized that the king was favoring Mordecai because the king told him, that's a good idea. Take my robe, take my horse, and give it to Mordecai. He not only had to, to uh, uh, not get what he expected, he had to go and give it to Mordecai. And then turn around and got killed on the very thing he constructed to take out Mordecai. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18, we know that verse. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. See, there are people who are living today that seem to have this level of pride that is unmatched. Unmatched anywhere. Y'all know where I'm going with this. I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Our current president of the United States has a level of pride that is unmatched. He sat on TV, international TV, and the interviewer said, you have often said that you are a Christian. Have you ever asked for forgiveness? And he said, no. Pride. Pride goes before the destruction. A haughty spirit before the fall. Now here's the thing. As we get to a close. God hates pride. See, we see in Proverbs 16.5, straight out says, Everyone proud in heart is what? An abomination to the Lord. Every proud, everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And we know what, what all y'all Christian folks like to always call a certain group of people an abomination, right? But you know what? If they're an abomination, you are too. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, no one will go unpunished. All your prideful people can be together. He straight out said, you are an abomination to me. And you can unite and join with all the people. But you will not go unpunished. Proverbs 8.13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth, I hate. How you go have a Facebook group say that these two men are nothing but God-fearing Christians fearing for their life when you got that pride that has puffed you up to believe that. God hates pride. Last verse I'm going to go through. This is from the New Testament. It's Acts 12. I forgot to put the verse, but it's Acts 12, verse 21 through 23. Peter had been arrested, put in jail. The people were praying for him. He'd get the angels come and release him from jail. But when we get to the end, Herod, the king who picked up uh, Peter, he had, he, he, he had started killing some of the, the, uh, the Jews, uh, the Christians rather, and he saw how much the Jews loved it, so he tried to get Peter got Peter put him in jail, but realized it was right before the Jewish feast, so he held him in prison, and Peter got out. And when he comes up in Acts, in verse 21, it says, so, so on a set day, Herod arrayed in his royal apparel, 
sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Verse 22, and the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. That's pride. And we've seen these in these rallies across the United States. They have elevated this man to God's status. The voice of a God and not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. This is the outcome for those who continue to have this prideful heart. You, you cannot live your life boasting about all these things. You can't be ungrateful. <clears throat> you can't be boasting about stuff that's unimportant. You can't be ungrateful for what God has. And uh, that last thing, you, uh, you, you, uh, the, you will see the destruction that comes from your pride. People are experiencing the destruction from pride. We are seeing this nation being torn apart because of pride. Pride starts with I, and it ends with death. Every time. Every time. We're going to pick up next week and, and deal more into pride and how to come out of that in a godly way, to be pleasing to God and, and not be stuck in that, that, that place of pride that allows allows us to boast, allows us to be ungrateful, and will eventually bring about the destruction of the important things in our lives. You may not die as a result of your pride, but everything around you may fall apart. Amen? Father God, we thank you and we praise you. We, we lift your name on high for being our God. Lord, we <coughs> acknowledge the fact that we are sinners, that we need your forgiveness. We need you in our lives to show us the way, to soften our hearts, to remove this false pretense that we have lifting everything up except you. We need to remember that you are the one true and sovereign God, that everything that we have, everything we possess is because you have allowed it and not because we've done this ourselves. We thank you, Lord, and we pray for those who are stuck right now in this place of trying to transition between pride and humility. We pray for the families that are dealing with loss right now, God. We pray for the people who are in hospital rooms or behind jailhouse walls. We pray that, Lord, that your spirit will comfort them and they will find their way back to you. We pray for all the mothers today that are experiencing pain and loss, that we ask that you send your comforter to be with them, that they feel your presence, and that they will know that everything will be all right. We love you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, one of the things, this is what my wife was uh, interrupting me earlier that threw me off track, uh, to remember our May birthdays. Now, the only person's birthday in May that I really know, and I know we got people who have birthdays out there too, so I'm going to say a general happy birthday to anybody who was born in the month of May. And the one person who I love, whose birthday is in May, is my wife. Now, she can't come in front of the camera because she's got on her daytime pajamas, but it is her birthday this month. <laughs> Happy birthday, baby. I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be in a couple of days. And, uh, and one of the things we like to do as well is acknowledge anniversaries. So anybody who's gotten, who got married in the month of May, happy anniversary to you. But again, 
uh, there's, I don't know everybody's anniversary in May, but I do know one person's anniversary in May, and that's me and my wife. We got married today, May 10th, 12 years ago, so happy 12th anniversary, baby. So, uh, I think that's all I got today. I hope you were blessed. I hope you will consider uh, sowing into our ministry. And I pray more than anything else that you remember to let go of the pride that you have. Because out of all the things that we talked about today, it still comes down to one thing. God hates pride. And I do not want the pride to be the thing that keeps you or anyone you love out of paradise. Amen? Amen. So, in this era of COVID-19 and why we're having this service at home and not in the church, uh, in the church house, stay safe. Don't ignore any of these laws. There's a scripture that tells us to be wise and not foolish lest you die. Be wise and remain healthy and safe. Stay safe. I love you all and nothing you can do about it.